I think it is amazingly difficult to go through life with a bad name. Immediately when I think of that situation, I think of a song I heard back in 1969 by Johnny Cash entitled, A Boy Named Sue. <laughs> it was all about this guy whose father named him Sue and all the struggles he had with that and how he tried to rectify it and in the end somehow used it to his advantage. And one of the famous lines in that song is, my name is Sue, how do you do? Not that I recommend everything in the song, but it's kind of a fascinating one. Another story about a guy with a bad name was a lawyer whose last name was Odd, O-D-D. Throughout life, he was harassed because of his name, and people would call him on the phone, prank calls, you know, call him Oddball, Odd Duck, all that kind of thing. He was, he was so plagued by this name that he decided that he would write in his will <clears throat> something that would change his life after he died. Tortured before his death, he wanted to make sure he had peace after his death. So this lawyer wrote in his will that uh, a certain instruction had to be written on his tombstone. His name could not be placed there. So no name, but just this inscription, here lies an honest lawyer. So people would walk by, read his tombstone, and say, that's odd. <laughs> I hope that didn't happen, but it's an interesting story. But how about the name Caleb, which in Hebrew means dog? <laughs> Why did Jephunneh name his son dog? Well, it could be because uh, back in that time, there was kind of a totemistic origin to the fact that an animal would be the symbol of a clan or a people or even a nation like a lion but a dog in the cuneiform literature we find that the word dog is often used to describe a slave and even a canaanite king called himself pharaoh's dog so it had a very negative connotation in many respects and yet when you think about it there are a lot of positive canine qualities, right? Loyalty, the idea of heroism, and maybe simply the idea of enthusiasm. Maybe that's why his father named his son Caleb. There's only three guys mentioned in the scripture with the name of Caleb. The other two um, are, are not too distinctive in their life or in their impact, but this Caleb is. His life is unique and fascinating. He becomes a hero and a leader from the tribe of Judah. And when you examine his life, you see that Caleb is an overcomer. He faced three temptations throughout his life that often are similar to the temptations that we face in our life. And I think there is tremendous benefit for us to do a review of his life, learn from the way he faced difficulties, and how, by the grace of God, Caleb was an overcomer. We start our journey in the life of Caleb in the book of Numbers, chapter 13. So let me encourage you to go to the Old Testament, and you go Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers, chapter 13. 
So in the Bible, we are in a section called the Pentateuch. These are the first five books of the Old Testament, the writings of Moses, giving us Hebrew history from its very beginning. And at this point in time, the Hebrew people are on their way to the promised land that God had given them. They had been released from Egypt. But before they go into the promised land, this is Numbers chapter 13 and verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. Now this is a familiar story of the 12 spies that are going to go into the land of Canaan, right? You hear about it in Sunday school all the time. But I simply want you to know that this was God's idea. He was the one who said, send the men into the land of Canaan. The question was not, should we go and take the land, but how should we go and take the land? It was a question of strategy. It was a question of the best route to take. And so one leader from each of the 12 tribes is chosen, and notice in verse 6, Caleb, son of Jephunneh, Caleb ben Jephunneh, is chosen as the leader of the tribe of Judah, the representative for this very important trip. Cream of the crop. That's who Caleb is. Uh, when you go down to chapter 13, verse 17, Moses sent them to explore the land of Canaan. And here were the instructions he gave. Verse 18. See what the land is like, whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? What about trees? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit, for it was the season for the first ripe grapes. So basically he said, check out the land, see how fertile it is, and check out the people. Are they strong or weak? So there was this idea of examining what type of uh, individuals they would come against. And when you come down to verse 23, they indeed, from the valley of Eskol, brought back a bunch of grapes. But this bunch of grapes was a bunch. They had to put it on a pole, and it took two men to carry the pole between them to bring these grapes back. That's how blessed the land was. So we continue the story, and in verse 28, these people come back and give a good report. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. And here are the grapes. Here's the fruit you ask us to bring back. And I can just imagine the whole crowd of the Hebrews ooing and eyeing. That's going to taste good. Can't wait to get that. Verse 28, but, and here's the bad report. The people who live there are powerful. The cities are fortified, very large. And we saw the descendants of Anak there. They're called later on in verse 33, the descendants of the Nephilim. And in the old King James, it simply has the word giant. Now, I don't know how big a giant was in that day. I'm not totally sure how big a common person was in that day. But uh, imagine yourself, if you're the 
basic age, the average age of a human being in North America, imagine yourself coming against an NBA basketball team. And not just tall, but strong. These individuals were giants. And that's exactly what they said. There are giants in the land. But Caleb steps up in verse 30. And he silenced the people. Apparently they were all complaining so loudly and murmuring. The noise was huge. He silenced them and said, We should go up and take possession of the land. For we can certainly do it. He reminds me of a football coach at halftime talking to his team that's losing or the demoralized and he's trying to inspire them to go back and win the game. Why was he so confident? Where did Caleb get his confidence? That's a question we have to answer as we look at the life of Caleb. But confident he is. The problem is the people had their eyes on the giants and not on Jehovah. They said in verse 32, the land we explored devours those who come in. The land's going to eat us up. That is, the people there are going to eat us up. And we're like grasshoppers in their sight. Their eyes were on the giants and not on Jehovah. I submit to you that that is a problem that you and I often face in our life. The difficulties that we encounter are magnified beyond reality, and the God we serve is minimized beyond reality. And sometimes it takes a worship service like this for us to again realize our God is So here's the first temptation they face. They are tempted to reject the word of God because of peer pressure and intimidation. When you jump into chapter 14, all that night, the people raised their voices and wept and grumbled, verse 2. And lamented, verse 3, oh, I wish we could go back to Egypt. (laughs) It'd be better to die there than to die here. Let's choose another leader. Let's go back. But there were the faithful four. Verse 5, Moses and Aaron. Verse 6, Joshua and Caleb, the faithful four, stood up for God. In verse 7, And I don't know whether this is Caleb's speech. It's really hard to understand from the text. It says Joshua and Caleb said. So maybe together they join their voices. But listen to their speech in verse 7. The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he'll lead us into that land. A land flowing with milk and honey. And he'll give it to us. Only don't rebel against the Lord. Don't be afraid of the people of the land. We'll swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid. Isn't it interesting? In chapter 13, they said the land's going to eat us up. And Caleb says, we'll eat, we'll have them for dinner. Because God is with us. Where did he get such strength? 
How was he able to fight against peer pressure when everyone else is against them? Twelve spies went into the land. Only two came back with a positive report, Joshua and Caleb. And in fact, after this speech, look at verse 10. Chapter 14, verse 10. The whole assembly talked about stoning them until God showed up with great glory. Here's the temptation that you and I often face. Will we stand alone or cave in to the crowds? The reason why Caleb had such confidence is because of chapter 13, verse 1. The Lord had promised to give them the land, and Caleb believed the promise. So you and I are facing a temptation today, the temptation of rejecting God's word, the temptation of giving in to the crowd. We're tempted to to rebel against the truth of Scripture and not with all of our hearts follow Him. The difficulties of life will dwindle and disappear in the light of God's glory and grace. When we see how majestic God is, we'll see the size of Jehovah, not the size of the giants. By the way, this temptation is particularly difficult on those who are young, peer pressure, and intimidation. And easily the young can forget that the word of God is true and the promises of God never fail. And it's up to those in the community of God who have experienced a little more of life's journeys to remind them God's word is ever true and none of his promises fall to the ground without fulfillment. I wonder... Are you intimidated by the crowd around you? Do the scientific facts of the learned in our day intimidate you so that you don't believe that God created everything, so that you don't believe that God is in control? You may not even believe that God exists. Because the popular voices of the media today are shouting as loud as they can, forget about God. And if you believe in him, relegate him to a position of insignificance in your life. Caleb says, I'm not going to do it. And so because of his belief in the promises of God, he would not reject the word of God, but remain true. And what does he get for it? (laughs) What does Caleb win for being faithful to God? Get this, over four decades in the desert, wandering around, And it wasn't even his fault. How many times would you have said to the rest of the assembly, I told you so. I mean, I'd be doing that every day. I told you so. Did I not say? (laughs) Except I probably would have been with the ten instead of with the two. And now he comes to the second temptation of life, and that is the temptation to resent the providence of God. Even though he was faithful, and even though he was true, now he has to stand before a group of people who have disobeyed the word of God and bear the consequences of their sin. God's delays in accomplishing his promises 
often bring to us great disappointment. And here's the temptation of middle age, if we might so say. C.S. Lewis said, the long, dull, monotonous years of middle age prosperity or of middle age adversity are excellent campaigning weather for the devil. The middle years. You've lost maybe some of the vibrancy of youth. You've still got a long way to go. The second mile is the most difficult mile. You're not beginning, you're not ending, you're somewhere in the long middle. And you begin to sense that the promises of God will never be fulfilled. And so the delays and the disappointments overcome you. And you have a tendency to want to give up. Are you going to be content? Or are you going to complain? Think about it. For 40 years, Caleb wandered through the desert. And he had to fight. And every day struggle, not obtaining the land that God had promised to them, but took away from them because of the disobedience of the crowd. You and I are living in a time in which there is much disobedience, both in the world and in the church. And those who are faithful bear the consequences of the unfaithful. You know it's true in your own family. If you raise a child in the faith, but that child strays and breaks your heart, you bear the consequence of their disobedience. And while not as volcanic as the testings of youth, what they lose in intensity, they gain in subtlety the temptations of middle age to complain and be filled with disillusionment. The sin and unbelief of his contemporaries have doomed Caleb to waste the best years of his life, 45 years in the desert, with not much to show for it. And then you begin to remember that God has not called us so much to achievement as he has faithfulness, right? To be faithful. It's not the one who has the best toys at the end of life who wins. It's not the person with the biggest bank account. It's not even the person who has won the most individuals to Jesus Christ. It's faithfulness. That's what God requires. You have to remember, if you study Hebrew history, that during this time... There was in number 16, the rebellion of Korah, where 250 people were swallowed up by the earth because of their disobedience. This was the time in Numbers 21 of the rebellion of the people of God and snakes were sent in among the people and they bit them and they died and Moses put up a bronze snake so whoever would look would live. And also in Numbers 23, Balaam's seduction, the false prophet who wooed the people of God away by immorality. And Caleb had to endure all of this, the stupidity, the sin, and the judgment. But he remained faithful. I liken it to a person who loves to shop, who is destined to wander in the mall without ever buying. 
Just window shopping, that's all. That's sadistic torture, isn't it? Someone who loves to shop, send them to the mall without money or a credit card. You know what you want, but you can't have it. You know what God has promised, but it hasn't come yet. Just keep walking. Just keep walking. And tomorrow, you get to do the same thing. But he remained faithful. There was no Laodicean leadings of lukewarmness in Caleb. There was no sense of hot for God and then cold. Everything in the Bible says he was faithful. And because of that, Numbers 34 said that he was given a position to be the land commissioner, the one who would help allot the land when they finally made it, and they did. Now, turn in your Bibles to the book of Joshua, chapter 14. So we go from Numbers 13 and 14 to the book of Joshua, chapter 14. And so let me just review with you. The first temptation is the temptation to reject the word of God because of peer pressure and intimidation. The second temptation is this idea of uh, simply rejecting the promise of God, the providence of God, resenting the providence of God because you're not getting what you desire in time, the delays and the disappointments. The third temptation is that you want to retire from the work of God. Now I say this is a common temptation Because many people in their maturing years decide it's time for the young people to do the work. I've done my part. Fatigue and weariness are setting in. And it's time for me to enjoy my retirement. By the way, that's a French word, a French military word, retire, that means to retreat. Now, I'm not saying in your later years that your pace shouldn't change, and I'm not saying that in your later years, maybe even your job may not change. I'm just saying I don't find anywhere in the Bible where we are to retire from the work of God. There's so much to be done, and what an example Caleb is. Now, we're in Joshua 14, verse 6. The men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kizanite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear, I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly, with my whole heart. What does wholehearted mean? It means something better than half-hearted. It means you're all in. It means mind and emotions and will, intellect, feeling, choosing. You're all in. Verse 9, so on that day Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you follow the Lord your God, my God, wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive 
for these 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. He was an explorer at 40, wasted the next 45 years in the desert, and now he's 85. And what's the song we attribute to this period in Caleb's life? I want that mountain. I want that mountain, he says. Verse 11, I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Let me simply say to you, I don't believe it. You say, Pastor, that's the word of God. Oh, I know, that's what Caleb said. I just don't believe it. But I love the Spirit, don't you? I love the determination and the confidence and the wholehearted trust in the word of God. You see, the mature age is the time for some of life's greatest accomplishments. But it's also the time of one of our greatest temptations, to want to quit. It's a time for great resolve. It's a time for pressing forward, not for petering out. It's a time for holding on to the promise of God. Look at verse 10. Just as the Lord promised, I want that mountain. And so he says, I'm going to drive them out. Verse 12. Now give me this hill country, the hill country of Hebron. Actually, it was not just one mountain. It was a whole, whole country of hills. It's about 25 miles south of Jerusalem. Give me the Hebron hill country, just as the Lord promised. You yourself heard that the Anakites were there, and their cities are large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. What's Caleb holding on to? The promise of Almighty God. I think that is amazing. If you were to look online to see the logo for the Israeli Tourist Board, it would be this picture. Two guys holding a stick with a huge bunch of grapes in between. I'm not so sure that's the best symbol. Because most of the Hebrews at that time saw giants instead of grapes. Maybe there ought to be a giant there and someone cowering with fear, but that wouldn't bring in too many tourists. And I like the idea that they pick this up. This is the prosperity that God wanted them to enjoy, and this is the blessing that God promised to give them, but their unbelief kept them from enjoying the promises of God. But as it says in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 24, Caleb had a different spirit. And what was the secret to his success? Simply this. Caleb followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Did you know that's repeated six times in the scriptures? It's in Numbers twice. It's in Deuteronomy once. And then three times in this chapter. Verse 8, verse 9, verse 14. Caleb followed the Lord with all of his heart. 
Do you think the Lord's trying to get a message through to us? Stop following me with half your heart. Or you'll fall to every temptation. You'll reject my word. You'll resent my providence. And you'll retire too quickly. But when you embrace my word and you hold on to the promise of God, realizing that it is true and it can never fail, then the symbol of your life will be grapes, not giants. It's interesting. What happened to Caleb can happen to us. The giants did not frighten him. The delays and disappointments did not embitter him. And age did not hinder him. Because he followed the Lord, his God, with all of his heart. And he lived in Hebron the rest of his life. Let's pray. Father, we're all on your team. We're part of your family. That is all who've put their faith and trust in you. And yet, like the spies, many of us are more like the ten than the two. And because of that, Lord, we have forfeited so many of your wondrous blessings that you've promised to us. But there's no education like adversity. Prosperity can teach us some things, but adversity can teach us many things. Adversity is the better teacher. And so, Lord, help us to understand what Caleb learned, and that is that the word of God is true and can be trusted, and it may take a long time to wait for all the promises of God to be fulfilled, but they will be in his time. And those who follow him with all of their hearts will be deeply blessed. There's no promise of an easy life, but there is promise of a blessed life. So help each one of us who call themselves Christian to wholeheartedly embrace the word of Christ. May the word of Christ dwell in us richly and may we follow you wholeheartedly all of our days. Take from us unbelief. Let us not be intimidated Remove from us the complaining spirit and give us a different spirit like Caleb to accomplish your work for the glory of God, we pray. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You're dismissed.